Hey everybody, this is Warren Sharp, NFL analyst over at Sharp Football Analysis. I want to welcome you to the Ringer Gambling Show. Join me on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays each week during the NFL season with guests Chris Vernon, Ben Solak, and Joe House to guide you through the NFL betting landscape. We'll be talking spreads, game totals, parlays, player props, futures, and much, much more. Be sure to follow the Ringer Gambling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The MLB season is in full swing, and you can step up to the plate with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, Bet the live same-game parlays for every MLB game and track your game and bets live with box scores and play-by-play. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21+, plus, 18+, plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem for 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Roll, baby, welcome in Labor Day weekend edition of New York, New York with yours truly, JJ John Stremsky, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. I hope everybody enjoyed their Labor Day weekend festivities. I hope you guys are ready to kick off September with an absolute bang. I know it is going to be a very, very busy month for all of us around here. And even though it's a holiday weekend, we suck it up. We work. That's what we do around here. We ain't taking any days off until after the Super Bowl because that's how I roll. That's what we do, and we take it from there. Now, we talked about this Friday's pod. This was supposed to be the weekend in which the New York teams got fat on teams that are putrid, miserable, Whatever adjective you want to use to describe the Baltimore Orioles and to describe the Washington Nationals after they made all those trades since the trade deadline. Two miserable teams, two rotten teams, two teams you need to pound. Well, one team in New York City was able to do exactly that, even though it wasn't pretty by any means. Wins and wins. The other team in town Let's call it like it is. They are lucky. They did not get swept over the course of this weekend. That, of course, is the New York Yankees after losing two out of three to the Baltimore Orioles after a disgusting, disgusting loss on Sunday. A troubling loss in more ways than one. Think about this weekend. Think about how much you know what hit the fan for the Yankees. Saturday, Chapman continues to have these 
ups, these downs. You can't trust them. You have no faith in them. You have no confidence in them. But would it kill the Yankees to score a couple of runs against the worst pitching staff in all baseball? They did none of that. Basically scored some extra inning runs on Friday. Saturday did zilch. They get no hit for six innings. And then on Sunday, all right, Gary Sanchez does his part. But when the Yankees need to score runs in the later innings of these games, they can't do it. So you got all that going on. Yankee offense, MIA, non-existent. Number two, Sunday's game and the feel and the emotions of Sunday's game really changed the minute Gleyber Torres had a mishap over at shortstop. We've talked about Gleyber's defense. It has been a hot-button issue on this show. It is something that Yankee fans have circled basically throughout the course of this year. Got to call it like it is. Gleyber's defense has been unacceptable. It has not been good enough. He ends up making a misplay, makes an error. The Orioles hit a two-run homer, two extra runs score. Instead of the Yankees having a nice, cushy, comfortable lead, after Gary Sanchez hits the three-run homer, they're only up three. Oh, it was a two-run homer, but that's besides the point. Sanchez has his monster day, six RBIs. You got a three-run lead in the seventh inning. Glaber's defense is a major issue. And I got news for Aaron Boone and the Yankees. If they are playing games at the end of this year, where they have a lead in the seventh or the eighth or the ninth inning, I don't give a rat's ass about Glaber Torres and his feelings. Get his ass out of the game and put Andrew Velasquez or Tyler Wade at shortstop. I'm not advocating that the Yankees do that on an everyday basis. I am absolutely advocating that they do that at the end of these games. Glaber's defense stinks. I have no faith. I have no trust. I have no confidence in his ability to make routine plays. I'm sorry. I just don't. Then you get to Andrew Heaney. And I understand Aaron Boone got tossed from this game and was all fed up and ticked off at the umpires. Rightfully so, might I add. He's still calling the shots, I got to assume, from the tunnel. He's communicating with his bench coach. Who in their right mind, when you are trying to win games, you're in a tight race for the wild card, trying to lock up not only a spot, but lock up that home game. How are you giving Andrew freaking Heaney as much leash as you gave him in the top half of the seventh inning? And I don't want to hear about the Lulisic injury. Not yet, at least. We'll get to that and what a blow it is for the Yankees. But I don't want to hear about that when I see Chad Green come in against the middle of the order later in the game. Peralta was able to pitch. You brought him in when you got into trouble. Why is Andrew Heaney getting that spot in a three-run lead? It's not a five. It's not a six. It's not a seven-run lead. It's a three-run lead, and Heaney's not any good. That is horrific. Heaney stinks. Gives up a bunch of runs, allows the Orioles to go and take the lead. And why Andrew Heaney has a roster spot and Luis Heal is down in the minor leagues, that, that's a million-dollar question for this podcast. Because I don't have an answer for you. Makes absolutely no sense. And the Yankees got all these games coming up. Heal's rear end better be up on his team, I would say, as soon as Monday. If I were on a team, he'd be up tomorrow. Okay. Yankees lose. It's bad enough they lose two out of three to the Orioles. Then you get the news with Jonathan Lazada. This is a major blow for the Yankees. I'm not sugarcoating this any which way. Jonathan Lazada has been the most reliable Yankee reliever all season. It's not even close. He's been more reliable than Green. He's been much more reliable than Chapman. 
And he's basically been able to fill whatever role Aaron Boone has needed him in. Multiple innings, middle relief, late inning relief. The guy has been a stud. I'm not a big believer in war. I think it's a little bit overrated, quite frankly, as a statistic. And I know a lot of the Sabermetrics guys and the Stat Geeks listening to this podcast are going to be vomiting by me saying that. Too freaking bad. I do think it's an overrated stat. The idea that Ben Zobrist can be the best player in baseball because of his war, give me a break with that, okay? But for you Stat Geeks out there who listen to the podcast, he's probably, well, Isaac, what, third, fourth, fifth on a Yankee team? He's been a very valuable commodity, and now he's got some issues with the rotator cuff. His his season, very much in jeopardy. You almost have to operate like he is not coming back. So what does that mean for the rest of the Yankee bullpen? What it means to me is guys like Peralta and Holmes, they got to step up. Abreu has got to step up. When they get Herman or Severino back, Michael King, These are guys they are going to have to be slotted now into that high sort of leverage role within the bullpen because you lost your best guy. You know what else would help? Aroldis Chapman and Chad Green stepping up and doing a much better job. Rotten weekend for the Yankees. And here's the bad news. The Red Sox won two out of three. They're only a half game ahead of the Red Sox. But look at the Toronto Blue Jays. The Yankees will put a Toronto Blue Jays, who are four back in the wild card, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You talk to any Yankee fan, they will tell you point blank, not a whole lot of confidence when the Yankees are taking on Toronto. They've struggled with Guerrero. They've struggled with uh, Bo Bichette. They've struggled with a bunch of guys within that lineup. This is a scary, scary series for the Yankees. Minimum, they better split. Minimum. I am not feeling particularly confident about the Yankees going into this week. And that's with Derek Cole going in one of these particular matchups. The other team in town, you want to talk about another team that gave you all sorts of heart attacks over the weekend, but you were able to survive a bunch of those heart attacks. That would be the New York Mets. And I think if we would have had a conversation on Friday and you asked me, JJ, how many wins will the Mets get over the course of four games in three days? I would have said I'd sign for three and one. I signed for four and one over the series, three and one over the weekend. You got exactly that. You gain ground within the division. Here's the problem. Friday, you had a two-run lead in the ninth inning. Diaz yucks it up. Saturday afternoon, you have a 9 nothing lead where basically you should be on your pool float, on the golf course, on a recliner, on a yacht. I don't think we have much of a yacht audience, but that's okay. On a boat, wherever the hell you might be on Labor Day weekend, 9 nothing. I think we're good here. I'm going to have a cocktail. I'm going to enjoy myself. Bop, bop, bop. For those of you who maybe watched early, watched some college football, had some fun on Labor Day weekend, and then got back in front of a television or checked your phone, when it goes from 9 nothing to 9-7, you're saying, well, what the blank just happened right here? What the fuck? That's what I'd be saying. How could you not be? The Mets let that slip away. May has to work out of a jam. And then thankfully Lindor bails you out. Then you get to Sunday. Mets 4-0 in the first inning. Amazing. Terrific. Taiwan Walker gives it right back. Taiwan Walker has a miserable start. The Mets put together good at bats. Big hit for McNeil. 
big home run again from Lindor, giving you some breathing room in the ninth inning. And you do exactly what you need to do. Now, big blow for the Mets, losing Nimmo now with his hamstring injury. But if there is a silver lining for the Mets, you know who has had some gigantic, gigantic at-bats over the last few games? Kevin Pillar. Kevin Pillar has gotten a lot of big hits. He's a guy who's played on winning teams in the past. We've talked about that earlier this year. I know Pillar was one of those knuckleheads doing the thumbs down, which was embarrassing. But this guy's a good player. If you got to play Kevin Pillar in center field every day, I don't think it's going to kill you. Jonathan VR has been a godsend for this team. He's going to hit at the top of the order. I wonder if he kind of profiles now as your leadoff hitter. But if you're the Mets, no letting up now. Win on Monday. Go beat up on the Marlins. And it will set the stage for what is going to be a tremendous weekend of baseball. And how great is it? It's not great for my sanity. But it's great for the podcast. It's great for New York City. And there are going to be a lot of heavy hearts with the 20th anniversary of the September 11th terrorist attacks. But we're going to have two baseball teams here in town playing meaningful, significant games in the month of September. And what a stage that's going to be. Friday night, Saturday night, we will have a green room after all the festivities in the ballpark. After the game, all that good stuff, we'll take care of that. And then, of course, on Sunday night, after you watch a ton of football, I mean, this weekend is going to be as loaded a weekend as this podcast is going to have all damn year. And yes, you can best believe we are ready for it. We've got a voicemail surprising me here, Saruti, right out of the gate. Let's hear it. What do we got? Hey, JJ, this is Eric from Syracuse. And uh, just got done watching that disgusting game at the Turning Stone Casino, a place I'm sure you spent a little bit of time, your time in Syracuse. Uh, at least I'm up in the poker room right now, so that's something. But, uh, just a couple big picture things. Number one, uh, Toronto just came off a sweep of Oakland, and they're coming in next, and they're red hot. And uh, Toronto's team is going to zoom past the Yankees playing them seven times head to head. They still have ten against Baltimore and six against the Twins. So, uh, also another big picture thing is it's pretty sad that the Chief Pal and, um, and Cashman they value um, screwing around with skills service time over winning a game. You know, Feeney should never not be on the team anymore. So that's all I got to say. They ain't making the playoffs. Bye. I'm not willing to go that far. I know Bill from Los Angeles was texting Jacko and I this exact fact that you alluded to. Toronto with the head-to-head matchups with the Yankees. Toronto with all the games they have remaining against the Baltimore Orioles. And I understand they're dangerous. If the Yankees miss the postseason, I mean, you want to talk about putting me in the doldrums of winter. That will do exactly that. I mean, I'm already thinking about wild card games and maybe trips to Tampa. I mean, these thoughts have absolutely gone through my mind over the last two, two and a half weeks. Yankees cannot miss the postseason. Don't want to overreact. Don't want to overreact to a bad week when a team won 13 games in a row. But these are troubling signs. And this is now the sort of moment in the year. Toronto for four, Mets for three. We got to cut the nonsense real quick. Yankees need to have a good week here. Yankees need to have a good week. We've got a loaded show for you. Tons of voicemails to get to. We will unveil our rankings from the team furthest and the team closest to winning a title here in New York City. And I'm already starting to put the wheels in motion. The over-unders have been placed. The futures have been locked in. The divisions and all that good stuff is straightened out in this little pea brand of mine. And we're going to give you some hints on what we might be thinking come Tuesday and a Wednesday's podcast. All that more, New York, New York. Our rankings 
Who's closest to a title? It's coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. All right, folks. So before we get to your voicemails, this is something I was thinking about over the last few weeks. Um, I can tell you point blank, nothing has changed on here from two weeks ago to where we are right now. But I decided I want to put together a list before the start of the football season. The New York Metropolitan Tri-State Area team, sorry, the Buffalo Bills do not count when it comes to this sort of list. Who's closest? Who's furthest? from winning a title right here and right now. So we'll count them down from nine until one. So we're going to start with the team that's furthest away. Then we're going to get to the team that's closest. All right, let's get right to it. Number nine, and this will probably offend a few of you who belong to this fan base. It's the New Jersey Devils. They're just way too young a team. They're way too far away. Haven't sniffed the playoffs in forever. I know you can make the argument it's easier to win in the NHL than it is the NFL, but I am throwing the Devils here at number nine. Really, if you're looking at this list realistically, seven, eight, nine, you're basically taking your pick. You can order them any which way you'd like. I'm going to group seven, eight, nine in teams that have no chance of winning a title within the next three years. How about that? And if they do, well, shame on me. I'm putting the New York Jets number eight here on this list. And I know some Jeff fans are going to wonder, hold on a second, JJ, rookie quarterback, first-year coach, can't you put them ahead of the New York Giants? Not putting them ahead of the Giants because the roster is not nearly as good and the division that they play in is a lot tougher than the one the Giants are currently playing in where I see all sorts of wide-open possibilities within the NFC East. I do believe the Jets trending in the right direction, moving in the right direction, but they're eighth on this list. Seventh on this list, the New York football Giants. And to think about a time when Giants were probably one, two, or three on this list year after year after year. Well, that's not the case right now because there's uncertainty with the quarterback. I think most Giant fans who are listening are going to be not exactly pom-pom waivers when it comes to their regime, specifically Dave Gettleman. I do like the coach. I think he will squeeze wins out of this team. They will be competitive. The idea that they're close to a title low compared to some of the other teams in town, that is simply not the case. I am putting number six on this list, the New York Rangers. And you could make the argument the Rangers could be ahead of the New York Knickerbockers. Well, here's why I'm going to go with the Rangers at six. They have the firepower, but basically they are reshaping the entire look and feel of the team. Remember, Dolan didn't like the lack of toughness last year, getting bullied, getting pushed around by certain guys within the division. 
And I think there's going to be a little bit of a transition period for the Blue Shirts. I think they will score a ton of goals. They obviously have some star power on the team. Panarin, Zibanejad, Fox in the terrific year that he had. Rangers will be a playoff team, I think, next year, but still in transition. Same could be said for the Knicks, but here's why I'm going to put the Knicks ahead of the Rangers. I think the Knicks within the next year will be major players for a big ticket item in the NBA. I don't know who that guy is yet. You can start fantasizing if you're a Knicks fan and start thinking about disgruntled guys or tough stars, but I just love the way the organization is moving. I love the way they are building this thing, and I think the Knicks getting that star player, maybe in six months, easily catapults them, I think, past the Rangers for my money. So I'm going to put the Rangers at six, Knicks at five. They're very, very close. Putting the Mets ahead of these two teams. And the Mets, listen, still have a ton of work to do in order to get to the postseason. Here's what I like about the Mets. If they get into the playoffs, they have the Grom. Not this year, but you know maybe this year. But in general, they will have the Grom great equalizer. They have an owner who's willing to go above and beyond and spend a boatload of money. So when you have that advantage working your way, it's tough to top. Especially if there's not going to be you know, a hard salary cap when the CBA is negotiated. And I don't see that happening anytime soon. So I think the Mets, compared to the Knicks and the Rangers, the sport being set up the way that it is, having a great starting pitcher which can win you games in October, and a free will and free spending owner, that's going to put them four on this list. Now, I have three and two very close. I think my third choice is going to offend this fan base. The New York Islanders are going to be third on my list. The Islanders are a terrific team. They've done wonderful work the last two years in getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. Here's my fear with the Islanders. Have the Islanders maxed out what they are as a group? Do they have enough scoring? Can they become more dynamic in offense to get over the hump in the Stanley Cup playoffs? I know they're a really good regular season. I know they're incredibly well-rounded. But has this team kind of maxed out their peak? That's my question going into the year. Obviously, hope I'm wrong on that. And I just think the upside and the ceiling for the next team I'm going to give you is a little higher than the New York Islanders. That, of course, is the New York Yankees who are number two on this list. The Yankees have Garrett Cole. That's somebody who can win you playoff games, much like DeGrom. Great equalizer, can throw him a bunch of times in a series. And the Yankees' star power. They got more star power than a team like the New York Islanders. It has not clicked for them the last four years in the postseason. But we're talking about closest to a title. One of these years, does it all click? Does it all happen for the Yankees? This core is banking on it. This general manager is banking on it. Very close between the Yankees and the Islanders. Some of these are very, very close. But I'm going to put the Yankees at number two. And I think number one is pretty easy. Because the NBA is a star-driven league. And I'd make the argument the Nets have the best player in the NBA. And his name is Devin Durant. So if he's right, and he's healthy, and he's working his magic, Durant, with Harden, with Irving, Patty Mills, you're trying to get LaMarcus Aldridge back into the fold, back into the mix. Joe Harris, hopefully he'll hit a couple of threes this time around in the postseason. Brooklyn Nets will end up being the New York team, as much as it pains me to say. Closest to a title. So we'll see if your list jobs with my list. I'm sure that'll be a ton of fun over the next couple of days. You guys can let that marinate. Do so as you please.
All right, let's get to some voicemail, shall we? From our team's closest and furthest to a title to our outstanding voicemails. And by the way, you know how to, you want to know how to get in touch with the show? 917-382-1151. Simple as that. We got a whole lot cooking over the next week, so buckle up. That's all I'm going to say. New York, New York, no days off, baby. Full throttle for the next, like, four and a half months. All right, voicemail time. So, Rudy, start it up. JJ, it's, uh, it's Anthony and Syosset. So, I mean, where do we begin here? You know, I, I'm thinking I'm going to call you about five different things. I want to bash the defense. You know, even though at the time of that play, they were still in the position to win the game. I'm checking the out-of-town scoreboard. I see the Cleveland's up, and Boston starts creeping back, even, you know, as the Warriors begin dinking and dunking. If this son of a bitch, if this fucking piece of shit motherfucker Heaney pitches another fucking pitch for this team in September, if this piece of fucking shit throws another fucking ball for this fucking team that's in a goddamn pennant race when it's fucking September call-ups and they should be expending every fucking arm that they can from the minor leagues right now before they give this piece of fucking dog shit motherfucker another fucking chance to throw a ball. If he fucking appears in a fucking game again, then I'm sorry if this team deserves whatever ends up happening to them. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not at the point where they can even worry about home field advantage in the wild card with Toronto coming to town. I'm, I'm not. I'm not out of my mind when I'm saying this. When I'm saying this, especially the way they're playing, they have to worry about even making the wild card right now. Boston has their own fucking problems, and you can tell Bill in, L- in LA that too. As I see fucking Dahlbeck boot another fucking ball this time at third base, they don't with that fucking motherfucker piece of shit over on that side. But I- I'm going to tell you right now, dude, this is going to be a tricky week with Toronto coming into town. I'll take a split. I'll sign for that right now, especially the way this bullpen is. And Michael Kay, who I know is your boy, do me a favor, Michael Kay. Call the fucking game. Don't worry about making your fucking, you know, signature WrestleMania-type quotes just in case there's a big play and they're replaying it again on the Yes Network in the, in the fucking years to come. Just call the fucking game, all right? The guy's worried about a goddamn home run to tie the game when the Orioles just dinked and dunked their way to fucking score five unanswered runs. Please, can the Yankees dink and dunk once in a while, or is everything a fucking home run? Enough. Anthony and Syosset coming out hot right out of the gate. I don't even know where to begin with Anthony and Syosset, so I'm going to take it here. I have great respect for the Toronto Blue Jays. I think they're a dangerous team. I think they're a very talented team. They're a team that's given the Yankees a very hard time over the last few years. The first goal for this team remains the same. Get into the playoffs. I don't want to hear from the Yankees this narrative and this notion that we can basically flush regular season games right down the toilet. You can't approach it that way. I'm sorry. You cannot approach it that way, putting Andrew Heaney in a three-run game in the top half of the seventh inning. And moving forward, if the Yankees don't have a five-run lead or a five-run deficit, Heaney should not be in the game. Leave it at that. Andrew Heaney should not be in a game if that's going to be the case. And why Luis Seal is not up on this team, I have no freaking idea. Because guess what? Whether it's in a rotation or in the bullpen, he's got an arm that plays. He's got arm talent. He needs to be up here immediately. When we do our next podcast on Tuesday, and if Luis Seal is not a Yankee, I'm not going to be happy. Let's put it that way. I'm going to be pretty pissed off. I think I'm in an angry mood now. 
Yankees lose a couple more games to the Blue Jays, it's going to be 100 times worse. And for what it's worth, I'll sign for a split against Toronto. Right here, right now. I will sign for a split. Who's next? JJ, was good, man? Um, big fan of the show. Uh, Bryce here um, from Harlem, New York. You know, you know, I was really looking forward to the game today, the Yankee game, of course. Um, you know, I, I know we dropped it yesterday, but I went to a great Greek wedding. It was awesome. It was beautiful. Um, and, you know, I was like, you know, we can just come back and, and win the day and win the series, and it'll be all good. And, of course, this team fell right on their fucking face. I am so tired. So tired of Andrew Heaney. He should not be able to wear a Yankee uniform. He should not be on any MLB roster to begin. You, he can't even go an entire inning. Okay? He got one out. Who, like, who in their right mind would send Andrew Heaney out there in a must-win game? This is crunch time. This is crunch time. Right? We're fighting to make the playoffs. Okay? I, I, I just don't understand it. We got Luis Gill, who's been great for us. He's in the minors right now. And Clark Smith, he's better than Heaney. But I, I, I just don't understand it. And with Cashman, they just need to, they just need a DFA. They just have to. Okay. I don't care about Cashman's ego. He needs to let all that go. It's okay to make mistakes. Just admit that you were wrong and let Heaney go. He should not be on this team. It doesn't make any sense when we have other capable pitchers who can play instead of him. I don't get it. I, I really don't. And please, if, if you can try to break it down and, and explain it to me, why they keep throwing Heaney out there to pitch in these must-win games, please, please explain it to me because I clearly don't understand it. it. It doesn't make any sense. Thanks, JJ. You. Well, I don't have an answer for you to why Andrew Heaney's pitching in a three-run game in the top half of the seventh inning. And I know the prevailing thought on Twitter and on social media is going to be DFAM. Release him. He could be on a team. Let him pitch mop-up duty. And when a starter gets rocked and you're down five or six runs, you want to put him out there, so be it. I could live with that. In high-leverage, high-stress situations, I don't want to see this guy anywhere near the mouth. It seems like the Yankee fan is furious about Hill not being on this team. I can't blame him for that. Makes absolutely no sense. These games matter. The Yankees cannot approach September like they have a five or six game lead. They don't. And as Anthony said a few calls ago, get in the playoffs first. We were talking about home field advantage for a while. That was before you go two and four against the Angels and the Orioles. Get in the playoffs first. And don't mess around with this series against Toronto. Who's next? Hey, John. Mike from Stanford here. I mean, this this Yankee team is so bipolar. I mean, I'm a I watch every game, and this season has been so up and down that it's starting to it's just starting to fuck with my mental health. And I I I got to find a hobby or something else to do because I hate this shit, and I don't want to watch any more baseball, but I'm going to. And I have a problem, and I'm an addict, and I need help. And if anyone out there knows the solution to my problems, let me know. 
I'm okay. But this sucks. It's been a weird year. You know, it's really been a weird year for both the Yankees and the Mets. And I'm kind of conditioned at this point that it's going to be a roller coaster ride. That's going to be a roller coaster ride if you're a Yankee fan. That's going to be a roller coaster ride if you're a Mets fan. Think about how these narratives have just dramatically changed and have switched like week after week after week. It's not normally like this throughout a baseball season. I understand teams getting off the soft starts and then a team getting hot, but like this constant ride at a roller coaster, it's been more extreme than I think I've ever seen it. From the Mets easily winning their division to the Mets being completely dead in their division, and now the Mets have life. Or the Yankees being dead. I heard sellers at the trade deadline. Then the Yankees went 13 in a row, and people are talking about catching and hunting down at Tampa Bay Rays. I think we can stop with that narrative. And now it's like, all right, just getting to the playoffs. Another month. Get ready. You're going to hit some highs, and you're going to hit some major lows. That's the way to approach it. Two to go. JJ, what's up, man? Dexter from Syracuse just got done watching the great Yankees win in the 11th inning, and I got to ask you a question after watching this. Is it safe to ask the question now, is Giancarlo Stanton not the worst contract in New York anymore? Is it Francisco Lindor on the Mets? The Mets could do it over. Lindor's getting maybe seven years, $150 million. I mean, this guy's just a disaster. So I think it's time to start having the conversation. Maybe Giancarlo Stanton's not the worst contract in New York anymore. Anyway, look forward to hearing from you, and uh, go Yanks. Let's be honest with Giancarlo Stanton and Francisco Lindor. Serious signs of life. Now, Stan is going to be much maligned because he's missed time. He can't play the field. And his game is just so insanely streaky. When Stan is hot, you can't pitch to the guy. When Stan is cold, he looks like one of the worst players in baseball. It's weird. The numbers are going to be exactly what you would probably want them to be with Stan. And what I respect this year about John Carlo, he has produced and he has delivered when it's mattered the most. I respect the hell out of it. That's exactly what I am looking for. Guys to deliver in the clutch. Lindor is at a dreadful first year. He plays the field. That's always going to be an edge. Did the Mets, if they could do it over again, would they give him 10 years at 300 plus million? No. They would not. I do like the fact that Lindor over the weekend, though, Saturday, big home run. Sunday, big home run. I think you'd feel better about Lindor and where he's at as a Met if he has a big September. No matter what happens here for this team, games that matter for the Mets, if he shows up and has a big month, I think that's exactly the sort of vibes he needs moving forward going into the offseason. Lindor's got to deliver. And over the weekend, to his credit, exactly what he did. Last but not least, let's hear it. Hey there, JJ. Happy Labor Day weekend. Haven't been there yesterday. I was hoping you could cover a little bit of the U.S. Open um, Flushing Queens. It is a quintessential New York event, and this is New York, New York. There have been a lot of great storylines there already, so maybe you can get into it. Love the Yanks, love the Mets, love the Giants, Jets, but a little U.S. Open would be great. Thanks, JJ. Keep working hard. You're doing great. I appreciate the kind words. I'm not going to fake it. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I have not been into the tennis at all. I have not really been dialed in at all to the U.S. Open. And I have to admit, it used to be an event that I'd watch religiously. Like growing up, I remember watching Agus and Sampras. 
I remember Agassi, I think it was taken on Federer. Remember that great U.S. Open match, one of Andre's last ones, when he made it all the way to the U.S. final? I remember vividly. I have not gotten into the tennis. And, you know, I've been trying to figure out why I was into it as a kid, and now I don't have that same interest. I think the lack of a American tennis star to be like, on your forefront, to be in your backyard, to, to hear about him, to see about him, yada, yada, yada. Not having that, I think, has hurt the sport from a United States standpoint. And it's not to knock Djokovic, Nadal, Federal. Like, what these guys are doing, what they're doing is absurd. But I wonder if it does not play here for whatever the reason. And I, I feel like the popularity within U.S. tennis, it's not there compared to the golf, where the golf, maybe I like the sport more. These guys are everywhere. Kepka, Phil, even if you don't like them, DeChambeau, they have a presence. Tiger, of course, for years. Seems like there's a little bit of a disconnect, maybe, within the tennis community and the United States. Maybe that changes over time. I'd love to see a great hotshot U.S. tennis player. It's not my forte, and I've not been into it at all. I, I, I got to be honest with you. I have not. And it's a great New York City event. I know a bunch of people who were there this week. They love it. They eat it up. I have not been into the tennis. So I'm not going to BS you and tell you that I've been dialed in. I have not. College football back, all the baseball going on. I have not. Coming up, he's got Syracuse in common with me. He likes to hit the links. We have a golf coach in common. Justin Pugh, the former Giant. Now he's blocking for Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. He's going to make his New York, New York debut. That's up next. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. So we're welcoming into New York, New York. A guy knows a thing or two about my alma mater, Syracuse. Knows a thing or two about playing in New York from his days with the New York Giants. And now he's getting ready to protect Kyler Murray. They got all sorts of high-flying weapons on offense. Justin Pugh, what's happening, Justin? How we doing, bro? I'm doing well. How are you? Justin, I'm doing fine. First things first, I know you're just getting off the COVID list. All's good? You feeling okay? Yeah, feeling good, man. I, You know, I got the... Uh the NFL going through training camp. A lot of guys got the vaccination. It was this whole big ta-da. And um, I went through the whole process. I, I was vaccinated, but we found, we're finding out now that vaccinated players can still pass on the, the virus. So I ended up still getting the virus. Luckily I, I had the vaccine and the symptoms weren't too, weren't too bad, but then all of a sudden they, they, they got worse on me and I had a couple rough days. So it's been like 14 days and I've tested negative twice. So I'm back in the facility today for the first time. It was, uh, it was good to get back in, be around some of the guys, get a workout in. But uh, this thing is definitely scary and it's definitely going to affect some NFL games this year because of the way we're testing vaccinated players in, in, in the league. Is that something, Justin, that your front office and your coaching staffs have been stressing to you guys about vaccination where it's like, look, we don't want this to sabotage our season. Go and get it. Like, I've heard that in some places. Has that been the case with the Cardinals? Yeah, it's been the case. I mean, it's been the case across the whole NFL. Obviously, we know the vaccination has, has done a lot of things to prevent, you know, your percentages, odds of getting it. And 
X, Y, Z. I'm no science expert. You know, I was a finance major at Syracuse. I wasn't. Into oh, you were smart guys. You were one of the broadcasting dopes like me. You actually got half a brain, dude. <laughs> I can't say the same about us Newhouse guys. Just saying. No, you guys, you guys had it all figured out over in Newhouse, but. <clears throat> You know, obviously they're, they're trying to push the vaccine. Now we, I think we have to push more testing because right now if you're vaccinated, you only test every 14 days. I think they're now switching it to every seven days. But as you know, as we now have come to find out, vaccinated players can pass this thing on. So I think the, the, the key to this is more testing. It's not like I, I, last year we were all unvaccinated and we tested every single day that we came into the facility. And we had a successful season. So like my whole thing is we should be testing every day we come into the facility. So we catch positive tests as soon as they happen and get those guys out. So we don't spread this thing like wildfire. You got to be super stoked for this year, dude. You think about you guys a year ago, Kyler Murray, high flying quarterback. Uh, You got the Andre Hopkins. You got the ageless wonder, Larry Fitzgerald. And yet you guys are in the toughest division in the NFL with the way last year ended up dogfight. I felt like every single one of those games in the NFC West coming down to the wire. Has the mentality been Justin throughout the offseason now going into training camp? We got to be a playoff team? Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the mentality. We've we've gone through the ups and downs. We had the young quarterback. He went through the growing pains. He made his first Pro Bowl last year. He's been electric. He's come back even better. Um, the, the pressure is on this year. We definitely feel it. Uh, and we know we're in the best division in football. And that really comes down to how, how these division games shake out. Who can stay healthy? Who can make sure they show up there on Sunday? And that's kind of what's proven to, to be the winner of the NFC West is who's remained healthy. I mean, you look at San Fran, they were in the Super Bowl and then don't even make the playoffs last year because they had some, some injuries. Um, so our big goal is to go out there, stay healthy. And uh, I'm excited to see what's going to happen. You don't know. That's why we play the games on Sunday. But I'm very excited about our odds of making the playoffs this year. Curious. You're an offensive lineman. You're playing now with Kyler Murray. For years, you're protecting Eli Manning. What's the difference for you in playing the position that you do when you got like this mobile, agile quarterback making shit happen like crazy like Kyler Murray and then you have Eli, who you know is not going to be running a whole lot. Does that like really change things for you? Was that like a major adjustment period? Yeah, it was. It was huge. They they couldn't be more opposites. Eli is sitting back in the pocket. He's he's making his checks. He's getting the ball out. He knows where the pressure's coming from. Um, the defense doesn't have to account for an Eli Manning. I mean, like you can drop the extra guy into coverage because you don't have to worry about him taking off and running. Um, we've seen it and statistically you can see it like, look at the, the, the rushing attack of the Cardinals the past few years, since Kyler Murray's become the starting quarterback, we're, we're tops in the leagues. We're right behind Baltimore every year. Obviously they have Lamar Jackson, who is, you know, a, a, a running quarterback as well. Um, but Kyler can do it all. He can pull it and keep the defense honest and run for 30, 40 yards. He has one of the best arms in the, in the NFL. Obviously he was an MLB first round draft pick as well. So you know he can sling it. It's been uh, it was it's been a big adjustment. I mean, just just the 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 style in which we call plays is completely different than when we had Eli Manning. Both great quarterbacks. Um, obviously, it's just it's just a, a change with the offensive line. You never really know where Kyler is going to be. I always knew Eli was setting up right behind me. He was going to be in the pocket. He wasn't moving around too much. That's probably like the biggest adjustment I have to make as an offensive lineman. What would you say, Justin's the biggest takeaway you have? Thinking about your NFL career, 
and playing alongside Eli Manning. This is New York, New York. So that's a name that's, you know, near and dear to the hearts and minds of a whole lot of Giant fans because of those two Super Bowls. Biggest lesson from all your years of playing with Eli? Uh, how he worked, how he approached the game. I came in as a young player. I was 22 years old coming into the NFL, coming into New York City, which still I look back at some of the best times in my career. I love the Giants, love playing for the Giants, love the city of New York. I'm going to end up back in New York City once it's all said and done. Um, the way he worked, he was the first one in, last one out. I saw what it took to be an NFL MVP-style quarterback, Hall of Fame quarterback, and that's something that I always took with me. I, I saw how Eli ran meetings, and he got up there like a coach and, and made sure we were all on the same page and held everybody accountable. And that's what made him so great, and that's what brought helped bring two Super Bowls to New York. Um, you obviously look at Coach Coughlin there as well. I know uh, – big shout-out to Coach Coughlin. I know he's going through a tough time with his wife right now and, and, and her health. He was one of the you know one of the other great influences on my career, another Hall of Fame coach. Um, but those two guys did it the right way, day in and day out, did all the little things right, and that's what made them so successful. It's hard to win in New York because it's not just fighting the football fight. It's not just going out there playing good football. It's the media. It's the lifestyle. It's, it's, it's how everything else goes into it. And that's how you see a lot of the teams have, have struggled in New York because it, there's a lot there's a different pressure playing in New York City. You ain't kidding about that. And listen, everything has worked out well for you. You're in a great spot in Arizona. I'm jealous when we're dealing with like no, November and December and it's like <laughs> 80 and 90 degrees. And I'm like, these guys, they got it made. But was part of you bummed out, Justin? I know a lot of Giant fans listening to this podcast. They're probably saying... Damn, I wish Justin Pugh was on the giant offensive line starting week one with the situation they're in. Uh, were you bummed when you were unable to re-sign with the Giants, or is it a business? That's just the way it goes in the NFL. You go where you're in the best opportunity. Well, I think now, looking back on it, it was it was probably the best thing for my career. Um, the Giants were going in a different direction. Gettleman wanted to have big, big uh, run-first offensive linemen. Uh, he wanted to have those 6'6", 330-pounders. And that's just not who I was and what my game was. Um, I was obviously devastated leaving New York. Um, it was, I always say, say this, it was like your high school girlfriend. You think it's going to last forever. You know, you, everyone, everyone saw everything's great. And then all of a sudden you go to college and things change. And I, uh, I thought I was going to be a giant for life. That was, that was the goal of mine. I didn't want to switch teams. And I said that from the jump, but Gettleman had different plans and then it's his team. He's getting paid to put the team on on paper, how he wants to have it. And that was his decision, but I still have a great relationship. I see, I see the marriage from time to time. Um, Rodney Barnes, the head trainer, um, a lot of faces, a lot of names have changed in the New York and in, in, in the system, but uh, I still have a good relationship with everyone that's still over there. You and I have something in common with Syracuse people, which, you know, we bleed orange, bro. So listen, there are parts of me that wish I was still back on that campus. There are plenty of parts that tell me, thank God I'm no longer still on that campus. <laughs> I don't know if my body and my just overall way of life could handle being a college kid once again. What does Justin Pugh miss the most about the Qs? I probably had the most fun playing football when I was at Syracuse University because when you get to the NFL, it's a business. Every year there's new faces coming in the door. It's a, it's a production business. My best friends are getting cut or traded. 
so on and so forth. In college, I was there for four years with the guys that we came in together. Um, you look at guys like Chandler Jones, who I was there with, my buddy Zach Shabane, who was my left guard and my roommate all throughout those years. You know, you have Shamarco Thomas. We had some really good years. Ryan Nassib uh, at, at quarterback for all those years. We had a great core group of guys, and we I felt like we were turning the program around for the better. With Doug Marone, obviously uh, being the head coach at the time, we had so much fun on campus being together, helping turn the culture of the program around. And uh, I'll always remember that. It's when I went from a high school little pipsqueak to figuring out how to play football at a high level. Um, it really is what prepared me to, to play into the NFL. And then obviously you, you, you miss the campus. You miss the, the atmosphere, the dome when it was rocking, when we started winning games. Um, that, that's something that I'll always remember. I still talk to my strength coach, Will Hicks, who's, who's actually at Syracuse now doing some alumni work. Um, and just remembering the good times and, and the, those games, you'll I'll always remember the pinstripe bowl victories we had in New York city. I remember was, the first uh, one freezing my ass off watching that game. That was, yeah, that, was that, that two point conversion play. That game was yep. insane, dude. That was like two days after Christmas and, and Syracuse. That, that was like a, a Syracuse home game for you guys, man. The, the, the Yankee yeah, stadium was, was full orange, bro. Yeah, and I remember the last one I got to, I got to be in Jeter's locker and, and then getting drafted to the New York Giants in the second pinstripe bowl. It uh it was a great transition for me. I, you know, obviously once my career's over with, whenever that may be, hopefully for you know, not for a few more years, I'll be able to get back and get to some games. Cause I always used to go to a MetLife Stadium game. We always played Notre Dame or USC there. But uh obviously now in Arizona I don't get to see him as much. Were you a Chucks guy? A Harry's guy, a Lucy's guy. What was the bar of choice for Justin Pugh at the Cubs? I was a Harry's guy, the base of the Harry's guy, okay. Okay, I try to watch my we, football. Every Sunday we, I was at Harry's, man, yeah, all We the would time. go Harry's, and then we would go over to Lucy's, which is now the Orange. Oh, yeah, they now renamed it. I miss the surfer yeah. bar, to be honest, man. I miss those fish balls, dude. Those would knock you out, man. Forget about it. Well, I, I had Lucy's. It was the year I was, lead, or the year I was leaving a turn into the Orange, I think. But those were our two spots. We we kind of ran around with all the lacrosse guys too, and you know how crazy all those Syracuse lacrosse guys get. So uh, that was those were our two spots that we frequented the most. So we have a mutual friend, the great Dave Polchinski. He got you into golf. We go way back. He's like my golf coach. Anytime I have questions, I'm like, "Hey, coach, what do we got to work on? What do we got to straighten out?" And you got into golf being a giant. So I've played one of these two courses. I got to ask, Dave, this is a question from Dave. Liberty or Bayonne? Justin Pugh's got to play around at one of the two. He can only play at one. Liberty National or Bayonne? Where are you playing? Ooh, that's tough. I, I will say this, and then being an offensive lineman, I like to be in the cart. Bayonne's walking link style. Oh, so that's, you have that, to that's walk an easy call. See, I didn't know that. You got to walk Bayonne? Uh, that would be yeah. a no-brainer for me then. I ain't gotta walk, gotta and walk I'm in good Bayonne. shape, Justin. I ain't walking 18 holes. So I don't have to, bro. Yeah, Come so Liberty now. Liberty's has got that, has got a lot going on. I love Liberty. Liberty, I mean, if, if I could be a member anywhere, that would probably be the club I'd be a member at. Um, I'd have to go Liberty. That's definitely the winner for me. You and me both. And... I found out, and I can't believe you actually played this course because this is my home course. I'm there all the time. You played Silver Lake. I got it here. I got it. You played Silver Lake on Staten Island. That's what Dave told me. I have played, and I actually I shot I shot really well there. Um, I went and played with Dave. Dave would take me wherever. Um, Dave's the one who got me into golf. 
He is like my guru. He's, uh, he's like the, the sensei where you send him the videos and he sends it back. So yeah, he took me out to Silver Lake and I, I was out in Staten Island playing with him. It was, I think they were air raiding at the time, but we had a great day. I mean, we were, we were running around with everybody on Staten Island. It was, uh, it was definitely a, a round to remember. Well, the next time you're in Staten Island, I think we got to set up that group. That's got to happen. As great as Liberty may be, the idea of Justin Pugh playing Silver Lake, I got to see that. And I guess we'll leave you with this. The strength of your golf game. Mine is definitely not off the tee. If I'm around the green, I can be competitive. You got to be a guy who bombs the ball, right? That's got to be the strength. I'm saying Justin off the tee. I hit it. I hit it really well off the, not off the tee, with my irons. Okay. Like I'm a type of guy that sometimes has to put the driver away. I can hit it far, but we don't know where it's going to go. I bring out the trusty four iron. Get me out there 240 yards. There's not a lot of courses that if you can hit it 240 fairly straight. Oh, you're going to score, bro. Compete. If you hit 240 and straight, you're scoring on 90% of the courses in America, for sure. So my, my big thing is the driver's erratic. I don't. I got this push block fade that I have going on. Um, this year has been a struggle. It's been a struggle. But getting out to Arizona and playing like desert golf, where like you have to be accurate and you have to put it in certain I places. I learned that the not. hard way in Vegas last week, Justin. First time playing desert golf, you go right or left, you're finished, dude. You're cooked. Yeah, you don't want to go out. And there's snakes and all sorts of stuff out in the out. – I'm like, if I'm just dropping a ball and we're moving on. Um, so I would say my irons are where my – I'm where I'm best. I'm not a – I'm great. I'm a great short game, great with my irons. My putter is a little erratic, but you have to play enough. I take six months off every year, which is really killing my golf game. I can understand that. But listen, you got bigger fish to fry. You got an NFL season to worry about. Thanks for doing this. Continued success. Glad you're feeling better after COVID. And we'll be watching, man. That's the beauty of the NFL. It don't matter if we're in New York, if we're in Cali, we're in Arizona. We're watching everybody these days, bro. You know how it is. Exactly. I appreciate the support. You know, obviously, uh, I'll be back in the New York area soon. We'll get out on Silver Lake. Maybe we'll sneak out on Liberty and we'll we'll swing him too. We'll make that happen. Justin Pugh, John Zustremski, Liberty National will make that happen. All right, Justin, go have a great season, man. Thanks for doing this, okay? All right, take care. Have a good one. Always a pleasure to welcome in Accus alum, the great Justin Pugh. When we come back, we'll tie a nice little bow on this bad boy and get you ready for what is going to be an awesome, awesome week right here on New York New York. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. <laughs> Thomas's. Huzzah. A toast to breakfast. All in all, pretty good weekend for me. Now, full disclosure, once I saw the Clemson-Georgia line move a full point, that was the telltale sign that Georgia was the right side. But my two biggest plays were Maryland and UCLA against LSU. I thought that, jeez, that LSU-UCLA line was as funky, was as fishy as it gets, and thankfully we were on the right side of that one. And maybe the Pac-12 is going to be decent this year. UCLA, Oregon, Washington, Arizona State, Herm Edwards. Maybe it's going to be a good year in the Pac-12. I hope so. I like a little late-night, degenerate Saturday night action leading right into NFL Sundays. Hopefully this guy had a good college football debut, and hopefully he's ready for a big week. Jeff Money, what do we got? What's up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. This is going to be from Monday the 6th. I got two games in Major League Baseball for you. Money play, we're going to take the Milwaukee Brewers, minus the 145 over the Phillies. 
It'll be Woodruff versus Wheeler. Wood is four and one with a two point oh eight ERA at home. Wheeler is five and four with a three point eighty two ERA on the road. So game number one money play. We take the Brewers minus the one forty five. Game number two, I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Reds minus the one sixty over the Cubbies. It'll be Gray versus Steele. Gray is four and two with a two point ninety six ERA on the road. Steele is zero and one with a seven point twenty seven ERA at a, at home. Again, money play Brewers. Minus the 145 is my money play, and the Reds minus the 160 in game number two. All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Let's get it, Jeff Money. Going with some teams that need wins. Um, I don't like the Brewer play because it's gone from 160 to 142. I would be heads up with you on that particular matchup. I'd ride with the Reds, though. There's no way in the world I'm playing the Chicago Cubs. Hefty price, though, if you like Cincinnati. Got to lay basically minus 165. Mets. Tomorrow, that reeks of a sucker. But I've thought that a couple of times during this series that I've gotten burned. Friday, I thought that. Sunday, I thought that. Mets only minus 122 on FanDuel against the Washington Nationals. And I'm seeing the Yankees with Ryu and Jamison Tyon. Yankees minus 145 tomorrow. Yankees have been very feast of famine against Ryu. They pounded him when he was in the Dodgers. They have not hit him since he's been a member of the Toronto Blue Jays. I actually say the Yankees get a W tomorrow with the way that line is moving, and I expect everybody to come in on Toronto. I'm going to say the Yankees get themselves a victory. And so with the Monday night action, Louisville Ole Miss, of course, the storyline front and center, Lane Kiffin, COVID positive. I think a lot of people have expectations for the runner Reds this year. I do. I think they're going to put up a ton of points. I think this is going to be a back and forth type of game as far as the scoreboard. Defense optional when your total is at 75 and a half, but I love the fact that this line's gone from seven and a half to 10. I'm all over Ole Miss in this game. I think they play for Lane Kiffin with him not being there. Big effort all around. I'll take Ole Miss comfortably. I don't like laying this amount of points earlier in the year, but you know what? Some situations call for it. Ole Miss to play on Monday. And I can tell you this. The futures card and the divisions and everything is sealed in an imaginary envelope. It's right here. We're so ready to rock for Tuesday. We are so ready to rock. And if you've listened to the New York, New York podcast over the last few weeks, you probably have a sense of a couple of games and a couple of teams that I've identified week one that I might like, teams in general that I might like. So I think if you've been listening intently on this podcast, you will have a very good understanding come Tuesday night exactly where I'm going. Let me see right now. Because I do want to think about this off the top of my head. I give out five season totals. I lock in five season totals. That's what I do. I got two unders, three overs that I feel really, really good about. Two unders, three overs. If you want hints, I'm going to give you a few hints. Three of the teams are in the NFC. Two of the teams are in the AFC. You want to be Inspector Gadget? You want to be Sherlock Holmes? Try to figure out over the next 48 hours who's going to be featured in our season totals that I believe went either 3-1-1 and one or 3-2 and two a year ago. So hopefully a lot of winning, a lot of cash and tickets on this podcast. Great work by the fellas. We're back Tuesday night. Charles Davis is going to join us. NFL divisions, 
over-unders, previews, all that good stuff. It will be covered, plus a gigantic week for the Yankees and the Mets. Enjoy your Labor Day Monday. JJ signing off. Be good, everybody.